0: That's awesome. (laughs) I mean, what else can you say? I mean, if you can't uh, get up for that, then something's wrong, right? This is what it's all about. There has been a resurrection. Anybody want to just say amen or right on or something's happening. That's the truth of it all. And uh, that's really uh, awesome. I didn't know that song was coming. And I'd just like to piggyback on the back of that confession and say that Jesus is alive and he's brought to life by the power of the Spirit of God. The same Spirit the New Testament says, who is at work in you and at work in me. Okay, let's just rewind that one more time, because that's pretty powerful. See, here's what it's about, Vance, and thank you so much for inviting me here. Uh, I could not be more honored, more humble to uh, be in this place tonight. I love it. I was born in a Baptist hospital in 1958, so I got a good start uh, with the Southern Baptist and spent most of my life uh, learning about Jesus um, in a Southern Baptist church in some of the best years of my life and maybe the best pastor, preacher of our generation. And I love being in this room tonight because I believe we're on to something. And I know that uh, there's been a lot of talk and there will be more tonight about the mission. And I love that because, you know, time's short. You know, the gospel is to be proclaimed while it's day because the night is coming. And so it's time for us to be about what God has set us in motion to do. And I know there's a lot of thinking, a lot of dreaming, a lot of praying about that mission that God has given us. And I'm all for that. That's not just a Southern Baptist mission. That's a mission of God, a mission of the kingdom of God. And he's doing it all over the planet right now on every continent, in every nation, among all people, in every place on earth. Jesus is doing the thing he told us he was going to do. He said, I will build my church. Now those are words you can sleep on if you're paying attention. I don't pay attention all the time. So some sometimes I lay awake all night. Anybody lays awake all night, you're going to like this talk tonight. If you're sleeping good, pray for me. But if you lay awake sometimes at night, you're going to be uh, into the message tonight. Anybody just for a show of hands right out of the gate who's laying awake sometimes at night? You know, when you get in leadership, sometimes sleep is fleeting. And when it's fleeting for me, it's when I'm drifted away from the words of Jesus. Words like, I am gonna do something, I'd like everybody to dial into this. I'm going to build my church. And nobody's stopping me. I'm not asking for permission. I I'm not building it because I've got such great assistants and helpers. I'm making an an opening statement here. I'm going to build my church and hey, even the gates of hell aren't stopping me. Nothing is going to slow me down because I'm in charge of the universe. I orchestrate the affairs of history. I order the paths of men. I raise up rulers and I put them down. I hold the nations in a jar in my hand. I mean, the, the ocean depths in a jar in my hand. I am God and there is no other. There's none like me. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a beautiful, glorious, amazing, multi-ethnic, global church for my namesake. And hell will try to snuff it out, but hell will fail because I am God and there is no other. I love it. He he didn't say, I am going to build your church. So if there's some kind of a, a little thing happening where you've signed Jesus up to help you build your church, you're in trouble. If your prayer life is ordered around Jesus helping you build your church, you're in trouble. If your priorities are ordered around Jesus helping you build your church, you are in trouble. And our prayer tonight would be, dear God, save the world from that church. But if your priorities, your prayer life, your passion, the things that you think about is God ordering you around the building of His church, then you're on to something. And I promise you, hell's going to try to snuff it out. But hell's going to fail. Not because of you. And not because of me. But because of Jesus. And because of the power that raised him up from the dead. The same power, the gospel says, does it not, that is at work in you and in me. We do not have teeny tiny, mealy little power we have the same energy that was exerted from God almighty to raise up out of the depths of the earth the crucified son of god he said that same kind of power not not enough power to you know put a toothpick back together but the power to break iron gates and to open doors that have been shut and to keep doors from being shut that I've opened, the kind of power that can crack open cities and change destinies and alter history, that kind of power, he said, is in you. And we get a hold of that in our hearts. When I get a hold of that in my heart, not up here in my head, not with all my seminary training, which I love so much, but when I get a hold of that in the reality, down in the depths, and I'm really believing something's happening, not just out there, but inside of me there's something happening. I love the way Paul wrote it in this letter to Ephesus. He said, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, now, we, we've quoted that, preached on it. I mean, come on, you, if you can't preach a good, you know, six-week series on that, you need to go ahead and let somebody else step in. I mean, we've all been around that all of our lives, right? To, oh, to the God, to God, to God who can do, do immeasurably more. What Paul was trying to say was, look, come on, how much more do you think? Okay, that's not enough more. What was your biggest dream? Okay, that dream's not big enough. What's the biggest prayer you've ever prayed? Guess what? That prayer's too little for God. He can do immeasurably more than anything we ask of Him or stuff we're even dreaming about and we're not even sure we're ready to start asking Him for yet. He can do more than that. And He said here's how He does it. He does it according to His, say it with me, power that is at work within us. So to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen I'd like to talk for a couple of minutes today about a Trinitarian revolution of the heart meaning I'd like to come around the idea that God is always at work and he's always wanting to do more not, not more. Just in the sense of our, are our numbers up, do we? You know, is the budget up? Is, is, is church planting up? Not just more in terms of the measurable increments. Yes, more in terms of that. But he's always wanting to do more than, than what we could do. I think is the idea. He's always wanting to do more than just the collective horsepower of some good people together can do. He's always wanting to show up in a way, to move in a way that makes it clear to everyone that these people did not do this on their own. And when that happens, glory comes to God. To Him be the glory is what happens after the immeasurably more. To Him comes glory. To Him comes glory in the church. That's when you get glory in the church. To God is when the church is doing immeasurably more. So, you know, if our churches just kind of incrementally roll along, it might be fantastic, but God's not going to get a lot of glory in the town until something that's immeasurably more happens, and people look up and go, I know those people, and those people couldn't do that. (laughs) What happened? And people say, I'll tell you what happened. There's, There's something called a Trinitarian revolution happening in our midst. Meaning this, that God always accomplishes His purpose, and you can look all through the entire scripture this has borne out. God always accomplishes His purpose through the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, you know, it just was a kind of a mini-revelation for me a few years ago because I always read Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But really, in fact, in the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. I mean, you know that. Hebrews 1. Through Jesus, God created the world. So it's not just that God created the world. Jesus himself created the world because God's purposes are always accomplished through the person of Jesus Christ. We usually amen right there and take a big pause at an offering right there. But that's not the Trinitarian revolution. The Trinitarian revolution isn't God always accomplishes His purposes through Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah, brother. Let's get on with it. Now, that's, that's a Trinitarian double. That's the that's two-bagger. Still on second base, you haven't made it around to this beautiful mystery of God, which is the Trinity, which all of us who've been preaching, teaching, praying, and seeking God all of our lives still honestly can't really define in a real simplistic way. Oh, it's like water and vapor and ice. Yeah, no, it's really not. <laughs> you know, it's a mystery can we just say it's a mystery? Is that allowed anymore? Can we just say it's a mystery? I like a mysterious God. I like just going record tonight. I like the fact that my God is mysterious in some ways that I can't sum him up on a bumper sticker. He is the creator of the ends of the earth, this God we're talking about tonight. So I'm seeking, and I'm growing, and I'm digging, and I'm getting, pulling revelation out of this book, but this book leads me more often into these places called mystery where you just stand in awe and go, oh, wow. Thank you for what I do know, and I just praise you for all the stuff I don't know, because what I do know is enough to get me to life Forever. Because you're the way, the truth, and the life, and that's the path I'm on. But that path is a mysterious path, and part of that mystery is the trinity, and the trinity is the plan. God's purposes are always accomplished through the person of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Didn't hardly get any amens right there. Got so many more amens at the end of through the person of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you why. Because we are a little nervous about the last part of the Trinity. In fact, we're so nervous, Vance, that someone always will interject a phrase which has really freaked me out my whole life. Someone will say, and I don't know who the first person was, but he should have coined it, should have got a copyright on it, like, you know, they did that three-peat thing for the Lakers, and you could get all the royalties later. I don't know who the first person was that said this, but they said, you know what? If we get too involved with the Holy Spirit, before you know it, people will be what? Swinging from the chandeliers. I don't know when I first heard that, but it went in me at a young age. And at a young age, I was quite a mischievous kind of person. And I thought to myself, I'd like to see that. Those are some strong chandeliers right there, because the ones I've seen, you get up there and grab on, and you know you're coming down, the chandelier's coming down, it's all coming down. So there's this kind of weird misconception that if we get too concerned about the Holy Spirit, things are going to get crazy, everything is going to go out of whack, people are going to start doing nutso stuff, people are going to start jumping over the pews, I've heard they also do that, if they can't reach up swing from the chandeliers, and it's just going to go all bonkers, and we don't want that, right? And I'm like, "What, what, what scripture is anybody reading? A couple things about the Holy Spirit I'd like to just interject tonight. Um, A, Sunday was Pentecost. And I'm sure you had a huge Pentecost celebration at your church. Some of the guys just asked, last Sunday or this coming Sunday? (laughs) Last Sunday. I'm 53 years old, so pray for me. And I hang around with people half my age, so pray for me twice. I've never, ever been to church on Pentecost Sunday when there was a Pentecost Sunday celebration in 53 years of my life. Never. I really didn't even know when it was. I I know that sounds terrible for quite a while. I knew it happened in Scripture, but I didn't really know the day count and how you could put on a calendar from Easter and how you could actually track it along and how actually a lot of people around the world actually celebrate, hello, this is the day the Holy Spirit came down and blew the church apart and gave the horsepower for the mission of Christ to the nations and the world. This is that day. Praise God for that day. Maybe next year, we got a new day on the calendar. You got a whole new sermon coming. You got new material, man. People, it's Pentecost, and you'll have to tell them what that is and what that means and why that's important and why we're celebrating it. But when you celebrate Pentecost, you celebrate the Holy Spirit, you remember. You're getting back in touch with. It's a Trinitarian thing that brings the fruition of the plan of God. Just on the parallel note, in case anybody's nervous, and I doubt anybody is in this room, but in case anybody's nervous because we've spent too much time on the Holy Spirit, a couple of thoughts that really are important for me. John 14. The Holy Spirit leads us to truth. He doesn't lead us to crazy stupidity, He leads us to truth. Another place in John 14, he will testify. This is Jesus talking, by the way. So if you don't like people talking about the Holy Spirit, you're not going to like Jesus because he's spent a considerable amount of time telling his followers somebody's coming and he has a name and his name is the Holy Spirit and he's going to absolutely rock your world. If you thought me being here was something, you're going to be blown away when he gets here. Literally. And when he said who he was, By the way, this is a small thing, Vance, and I I know that it's a tiny thing, but it's important. The Holy Spirit is a person. Amen? Right on. He's not an it. Now, in the Old Testament, He was an it, because we didn't know better. And the Spirit would come and it would move among the people. But we've got more revelation, thank goodness. And we know the Holy Spirit, by Jesus' words in John 14, is a he. He's a person. So if if our prayer is, Lord, we we just ask tonight for your spirit to come. Just let it move in power. We're not getting it. We're, We're living back in revelation and not forward in a relationship with a real person of the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing I love about the Holy Spirit, and it's mystery, I'm telling you. When the Holy Spirit comes, and this is how you'll know the Holy Spirit really shows up among people. When the Holy Spirit comes, He doesn't really want to make it all about the Holy Spirit. Now, come on, that's amazing. So if, you're, if, you know, if your church has got a, like a big dove out front, you, you might have missed it. Because when the dove comes... According to Jesus, John 14, he will testify of me. He's going to lift me up. He's going to exalt Jesus. He's going to push the Son of God into the forefront. He's going to make it all about the one who it's all about. You wait, well, they're all the same. I know, mystery, isn't it awesome? And the Holy (laughs) Spirit loves to testify of Jesus. So if you've got a spirit-filled church, hello, you're not talking about the Holy Spirit all day long. People are talking about Jesus, and that's how you know the Spirit is on the scene and at work in the hearts of people. And when the city starts hearing Jesus' name and not your name, then the Holy Spirit's come on the scene. And he's starting to do immeasurably more than people could ask or think. It doesn't matter at the end of the day, does it? If anybody ever knows our names. But being a pastor is a tricky road. And it's full of temptation. And one of the greatest of the great temptations on that road is to make a name for myself I'm gonna say something really honest and you can just let the Holy Spirit deal with it but I've rarely seen people at times who are so concerned that people know that their names right And I, I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, good or bad. I'm just saying a lot of times when you come by a church, the first thing they want you to know is what the pastor's name is. Before you know anything else, as if anybody who is in desperate, dire straits internally and imploding from who knows what that's cratering their lives, really cares who I am. <laughs> oh, who? What, what's his name? Louis. Oh, okay. Well, I'll give that a shot. I, my, I'm sort of semi-Greek Italian, so that sounds like a place I'll jump into. <laughs> and so if somehow, and I'm talking about me, I'm a rookie pastor, so I'm here on thin ice under immense humility. You're not going to hear me talk about growing your church, um, tweaking your church, revolutionizing your strategy, because I could sit at every one of your feet for hour after hour after hour and just let you pour into me the lessons you've learned walking down the road of pastoring a local church. I pastored a movement all my life, but I've only pastored a local church for about two and a half years now. Completely different. but I'm telling us all tonight, me and you that there is something don't you agree with me on the road to being a pastor that somehow starts feeding that, that desire in us to, to make a name for ourselves. and when that's present honestly there isn't the operation of that beautiful, powerful, Holy Spirit of God, who couldn't give a rip about making my name great, but who breathes out unstoppable power to make Jesus' name known in the face of hell itself. So Acts 2, I just want to drop in for a second, this would be what you and I want to preach on next Pentecost, or sooner, and when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, right? And suddenly, this is weird by the way, in case uh, I, I, it just doesn't make sense, it's kind of like what? A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. It doesn't say wind came and filled the house. It says a sound came like wind and filled the house. So we kind of, that's kind of weird, isn't it? But wow, that's, that's the service you wanted to be at. That's the one service you didn't want to miss right there. That's the night you didn't want to get the text. Where are you? This is crazy. Oh, well, we'd just gotten back in from vacation and thought we'd just crashed at the house. You're missing it! There's a sound in here like a mighty rushing wind. I love it. They saw what seemed to be. Now, that's just a phrase. It says mystery. That's the whole book of Revelation. I, it, it was like. Revelation sounds like a middle school student wrote it. Uh, it, it. It was like this and like that and like this and like something else. Well, you know… The reason it was like that was because John was on his face down on the ground for half of it, and next time you're down on your face thinking you were dead in the presence of a risen Jesus, and you've been told to write this down, then you'll be using a lot of light too. <laughs> it seemed to be tongues of fire. Now, we're sure it was tongues of fire. I've never heard anybody doubt that. Yes, and then tongues of fire came down. I don't know if they were tongues of fire. They just seemed like tongues of fire. People heard a loud sound like a mighty rushing wind. They started to freak out a little bit, and then they saw something that looked like tongues of fire coming down out of the sky. They separated, and here's the kicker, and came to rest on each of them. It wasn't just a light show. It wasn't just a show of force. It was a specifically intended personal promise coming to pass. And it says the fire came on each of them. Isn't that beautiful? Because you got that one Holy Spirit person at your church. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. I'll pray for our brother. We can feel that just even in the amen, what he's dealing with. But you know, you got you got that. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. We can be honest here, right? This is not being streamed all over the nation or anything, so we can be honest. I mean, you you've got um, is it? uh, (laughs) You know, you you've got a few people. So they're emailing you constantly, saying, "Hey, how about the Holy Spirit?" How about some of the gifts of the spirit? And you're like, yeah, yeah, we believe in that. We believe in that. We believe in that. Yeah, but where's power? Yeah, we believe in that. We believe. Then you got that one or two people, and they're just speaking in tongues, whether you want them to or not. They're just gonna do it. So you're like, no, we don't have any of those at our church. <laughs> they're all down at the church with the dove on the sign. That's where they all go to church. That's how you know that you go to that church. Parenthetical small question since we're just being honest, why are all those people go to that church? Aren't the gifts supposed to be for the whole church? So shouldn't some of those people be kind of spread out among all of us maybe? It's a weird thought. All the arms going to go to church down there, and all the heads are going to go to church. No, he is the head, that's right, so thank you. We've already got that covered. Elbows go to this church. No, I mean, it's a body, right? But we've got those people, you've got them, and they're all about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Sometimes they're just a little bit over the top, you know, with the whole thing. And here's what this text is saying. It's not like for that one person. I'm not really making light of that because there are few people in my life when I'm around them, I am convinced there is a Holy Spirit. You know who I'm talking about? You've got some people around you like that. You can see it in their countenance, in the clearness of their eyes. It it just, it pervades in their life. And when you're around them, there's a couple in South Africa. I remember the first time I was with them doing an event there, and they were hosting us in the green room. And the first 15 minutes, and they walked out, just a husband and his wife, and I looked to my friend and I said, whatever they've got, I want it. Whatever Whatever they've got, I want it. So I wonder, when was the last time anybody looked at me or looked at you and just said, hey, time out. What is going on with you? I want some of it. How do you get it and where does it come from? See, that's the plan. The tongues of fire came down and then they separated for everybody. Because nobody can do what God has purposed for them to do unless they do it through Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said a few verses earlier a a pretty major statement. He said, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. That's a big word. Wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then, verse eight comes along and says, "But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you'll be my witnesses here in the city, and in this area, and everywhere." And Jesus is—I'd I love to be able to see this on DVD. He's probably looking straight at Peter. Wait. You hear me? <laughs> Don't go anywhere <laughs> until the spirit comes. And when he comes, <sighs> there's not even going to be any more messages on the mission. Because when the spirit comes, people get going. It wasn't a minute after the sound filled the house and the fire fell that people were speaking in the languages of every person represented at the festival in the city of Jerusalem. Instantaneously, global mission took place. It wasn't like, oh, now that we have the Spirit, we should think about that Jerusalem Judea and the ends of the earth thing. So let's have a conference next weekend about Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. No, you have conferences about the mission when the Holy Spirit hasn't showed up yet, because when He shows up, people go in the power of Jesus and do the things of Jesus to the ends of the earth. So if there isn't any going... It's not because we don't know there should be some going. Anybody here know there's not a mission? Can I just see a show of hands? Does anybody in here not know that God's plan is for all the nations to come and worship before Him? Does anybody here not know that the end and consummation of everything on planet Earth is every tribe, every tongue, every race, every people represented around the throne of God because they are worshiping the same Jesus we worship tonight? Is anybody here misunderstanding that we are going to be, if you get segregated by skin color, some of us in the room, most of us in the room are going to get, if we get segregated by skin color or language, so let's just all go with English for a minute, we're going to be in a little teeny tiny sliver of heaven. Oh, look at the little English section over there. Do we have sign language, do we have language interpretation for the English people? And if you want to get down to Western speaking English people, it's like a couple pews. <laughs> no, am I, am, I, am I making that up? Am I being facetious? Am I trying to be dramatic? No. You've been to Africa lately? Come on with it. Anybody been in South America? Anybody seen what God's doing across the continent of South America? Anybody been uh, in Asia? Oh, my goodness. China? Oh, come on. I mean, we're like China. Oh, poor China. Oh, poor China. Here's our two pews of Western English speakers, and China's got like a 18 football fields full of people. <laughs> That's kind of like right now. And the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is alive and well in China and hell is not gonna stop Jesus from building an amazing church there. So that's the plan and that's the mission and nobody here said I'm not sure about it. So then why are we gonna have one more conference and spend one more dime on it then? Because you and I both know in fact we lead people who by and large have made a change of heart in terms of salvation truth the gospel which we love so much the one and only gospel the unique offer of grace and mercy from God is this that you and I could do nothing because sin didn't make us bad sin made us dead and dead people can't do a thing for themselves our gospel is not self-improvement through Jesus our gospel is not I needed a hand and Jesus helped me out our gospel is not I needed a you know that extra little nudge and Jesus boy he just did it for me. Our gospel is sin made me completely utterly helpless, devoid of the ability to be good enough righteous enough, holy enough. I couldn't breathe life into my own dead lungs. I had to have a living soul breathe life into my dead lungs. And praise God, Jesus, by the operational power of the Holy Spirit, was alive when I said, come in, Jesus Christ, and breathe life into my dead lungs. And He did. And I started breathing with the breath that Jesus was giving me. That's the gospel. I did how much? Zero. God did everything. And a lot of the people that we're leading have come to embrace that idea. They've come to embrace that thought that that the that my life changed around the cross, right? And it changed around the fact that someone died in my place. My wrong was suffered by an innocent man who became guilty on my behalf, so that God could write my wrong in His book to His glory, for His praise, and by His gift and His operational work, I came alive, free, forgiven, clean, and brand spanking new. The righteousness of Christ, like a robe wrapped around me forever and ever, and ever, praise God, I'm a believer, and I'm alive in Jesus. But that's all they're celebrating. And somehow they're trying to work out how then to live. There there is a a very important question that, that we've all asked in our lives to people who are not yet Connected to Jesus Christ. And it is, if you die tonight, do you know for sure that you'd go to heaven? That's an important question, is it not? But a more important question might be since most of us aren't going to die tonight. If you wake up tomorrow, are you going to have what it takes to be a different kind of husband, to walk through a minefield of temptation? to be able to endure the arrows that are come flying at you from every side and to have a renovation of heart attitude that's supernatural in scope if you wake up tomorrow are you going to be able to pull it off that's where our people live And if we, please hear me, if we left them at the cross, sins forgiven, slate washed, clean, brand new future, assurance of salvation, promise of heaven, if we left them there, they're sunk tomorrow unless we taught them that the gospel has two halves. The first half is we came to Christ powerless and he breathed life into us and brought us back to the land of the living. To put our words around it, we were saved. But the second half of the gospel is exactly the same as the first half. That's why Colossians 2 says, Just as you received the Lord Jesus Christ, so walk in Him. How would you receive Him? By grace through faith. He did it all. I didn't do anything. He supplied power I couldn't supply. That's how I received Him. Guess what? That's how you walk in Him too. And there's a, there's a, a gospel floating around that says, Christ died for you. Now you go and live for Him. That's not a good gospel. The gospel sounds like this, to put it simply, Christ died for you so that he then could come and live his life inside of you. The same life that saves you on the last day is the same life that saves you today. by the power of the Holy Spirit. Coming down to the wire and just try to connect the couple dots and ask you Holy Spirit to help it be so. In Colossians, Paul unloads a story of the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus in a way that just absolutely, it makes my heart jump out of my body. All things created by him and for him. He's before all things, the head of all things. But as it comes down in the middle, it starts talking about a mystery called the gospel that Paul now is carrying. And you know what it says? It says there's a mystery that hasn't been revealed in ages past but is now being made known to the church, and here it comes. Are you ready for the mystery? Nobody knew this mystery back there, but I'm going to tell you, Paul's saying. you got to love that because we all want a little something extra, don't we? And this is the something extra. Daniel did not know this. Moses did not know this. Abraham did not know this. David did not know this. Miriam didn't know this. The prophets didn't know this, but you do. Here's the mystery that's been revealed and hidden for ages past, but it's now being made known to the church. And it is, quoting Colossians 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That word in, two simple little letters, is such a profound and powerful truth. It doesn't say the mystery is Christ and you, the hope of glory. Come on, Jesus, we are a stoppable team. <laughs> Take my hand. Come on, hell, it's me and Jesus. And Jesus is looking at you, going, I don't need you. <laughs> He's looking right at you, going, No, it's not like me and you. He's not fired up about me and you. He's fired up about me and you, not me and you. And some of us misread the mandate of obedience and discipleship, that sanctification process, that conformity to the image of Christ, thinking Christ died, so I got to pull myself up by my bootstraps and pull this thing off for him. And he's like, no, 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 please don't do that because A, you will fail and B, you will display to the world, even if you look like you're succeeding, how great you're doing and I don't want the world to think about how great you're doing. I want the world to see me doing in you what you can't do. That's when I get glory. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to wake up and go, I see the mission, I'm on board with the task. I know it's not easy to be a pastor, but I'm sticking it in here for the sake of your glory, but Jesus, you've got to give me your life today. Or else I'm sunk. And so I'm going to walk. You start talking about grace too much, and there's always one person going to raise their hand. They're a different person than the chandeliers, but they're in the same kind of little community group (laughs) Bible study together. One person going to raise their hands and say, yeah, I hear all your grace talk. Well, what are we supposed to do? Just sit down in the easy chair of grace and wait till God does it? We're supposed to work, brother. Amen, brother. No kidding, Sherlock. That's what I want to tell him, you know. I just want to go, no, no, no kidding. I'm so glad Paul was on the scene. I'll close with this. This is the same passage, and I just want to make sure I get it word for word. The hope is Christ in you. The hope of glory, that's the mystery. It's not Christ and you. Christ and me. It's Christ in you. That's where glory is going to come. And how is Christ in you, by the way? Just so we're all clear, how is he in you? By the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus said, when I send him to you, he will not only be With you, he will be, say it with me, in you. (laughs) So that's how Christ is in you, by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the operational life of Christ inside of us. And so listen to the closer, the very last words of chapter 1 of Colossians. So it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then listen to verse 28. We proclaim him, Jesus admonishing and teaching. So all the works and teachers and discipleship people will get fired up right here, and me too. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. That's what we're about, is it not? But listen to this last phrase. To this end I labor. Paul says, you want to see somebody working it out? Well, get behind me. I I can't see any mention of how many times Paul played golf. I'm not knocking golf. I just can't afford it. But I do a lot of other things I can't afford. I'll get on my bike for just as long as you're on the course. He says, I'm laboring to that end. And here's how. I'm struggling. You're like, oh, there he goes. See, that's what I feel like I'm doing with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. So I think I came tonight for one person and they've graced me with a couple of extra minutes and I'll close. I think I've come tonight for one person and I don't know who you are. And you are at the end of your rope. The very, very end. And I think I have a word for you. Let go. And find in the freefall that Jesus really is enough for every one of us who says, I can't. But I believe you can. I am not. But you are. I am. And I know you. And you live in me. Jesus, thank you that by the power of our precious comforter, leader, and teacher, Holy Spirit, that you are in us, not just to be good enough on the last day, but to be life that we could never live in and of ourselves on this day and so to anybody whose gospel is a mustering the strength to hang on I pray that you'd give them freedom tonight to let go and to fall into the trueness of real grace that they will not know until there is nothing but grace between them and you Do immeasurably more, please. Through us, don't leave us out as we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to magnify Jesus to accomplish the will of our Father forever and ever. Be praised. Amen.